You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast brought to you by ascully.com. And here are your hosts, Ace Scully and Sid Talk. Good afternoon. Are you talking to me? Yep, you're the only person here, apart from all the thousands of listeners. <laughs> thousands? Thousands? Have you counted them all recently? They're all listening live. Live? I don't know. That'd be creepy. They would have heard a lot that they didn't want to hear before you pushed that button. I see people do live podcasts, and I always think I, I wouldn't like to do it live. It's too much pressure. I know that we, uh, looking into a secret behind the scenes here, that we actually do this in one take anyway. Yeah, we never change anything, ever. Yeah, we don't go, oh, that part was messed up, so let's do it again. I guess that's not true, because a couple of times the thing crashed, and then we had to start completely over one day, we had to do it two more times. That has happened, but I bet you wouldn't know unless we said it, unless we mentioned it. No. <laughs> but uh, generally, we just do it in one big take. And I will cut out things like coughs and stuff, but apart from that, it's pretty much off the top of our heads. Right, so if it was live, it would be no different. Yeah, but You'd I feel like right. there's extra pressure when you do it live. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Extra pressure not to do the silent, you know, not to go silent at all. You know what really annoys me? Um, I listen to Howard Stern on Sirius. And very, he has a habit of going quiet for longer than you expect somebody to go quiet on the radio. And I always think that Sirius has dropped its connection. It might, you know, it might be five seconds of silence. You don't hear that on the radio because people are always taught on the radio and it's a keep silence. Yeah, I find that really annoying. I like normal silences in life when you're talking to somebody. People go quiet for several seconds, sometimes for longer. I have no problem with that. When I listen to podcasts, rarely, it's usually one person, so they're just continually talking. But even like videos, if there's an awkward pause, I like it. Because it's more natural than I like it too, but I often think, you know, when our Sirius just gives up sometimes and says, sorry, I can't play the music anymore. I always think that's about to happen. She'll (laughs) tell you. But it's just him being quiet. So that's uh, our broadcasting tips for this week. You can be quiet. I say let there be quiet parts and you say don't. I don't know if that's much of a tip. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So it is Saturday, August the 18th. This is after the show number 544. We're a movie review podcast. Review a different movie every week. This week's movie is American Animals. It's a 2018 movie. Releases on Blu-ray on August the 28th, so this is slightly early. You can pick it up um, in about a week. It's rated R. It's from our friends at Lionsgate who sent us a copy for review. And Sid Talk will give you the synopsis of American Animals. It is a telling of, based on a true event, when some college students wanted to steal... Some books back in like 2003. Correct. And that's that's what it is. Is it a cinematic retelling? Yes. Dramatization. Correct. All right. So uh, American Animals, Sid Talk, knew nothing about this movie. Mm -mm. I knew a little because I'd read about the true story um, or listened. I think I'd heard it on the news. I'd heard it somewhere mentioned, but I didn't actually know there was going to be a film about it. So um, I want to say off the bat, what was that? What was that a guy this week? I said, oh, he's saying off. He said something where he mixed two phrases together. <laughs> yeah. He said like off the bat and something else together. It didn't kind of work. But I think off the bat works in this case. So um, I want to say I really loved this movie. Loved it. I could tell. Yeah. Uh, what are my favorite kind of movies? Heist movies. Heist movies. <laughs> Actually, this week, I watched possibly the worst heist movie I've ever seen, uh, and I'm not joking, and it was Ocean's 12. Nice. I, uh, it, you know, I always refer to uh, cinematic blind spots, where something came along that was really popular, but for some reason, you, ne- you didn't watch it. Harry Potter is one of mine. I've never seen it. I keep saying to myself, I should just see it, right? All of them? Yeah, just watch them all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe I'll love it, right? I've You're just, right. I just didn't see it at the time. It's fun. It's very fun. Right. So um, the Ocean series is a, a cinematic blind spot for me. I have no idea why I didn't see them because I, I love heist movies. So I watched the first one a couple of weeks ago and semi-enjoyed it. I don't think it lives up to 
what people were hyping it up and stuff. But the second one, it is horrible. So this week I watched a horrible heist movie. And then when I realized, oh, we're watching a heist movie this week also. It's got to be better than that one. And this was truly one of my favorite heist movies. It was well executed. I didn't know 100% the details of this heist, so I didn't know where it was going exactly. And the way this is filmed, it has this interesting style, and I've never seen it before. I actually turned to you and said, I don't think I've ever seen this before. Uh, but they put the real guys who did this these crimes... Is it crimes or just one crime? It's probably a bunch of misdemeanors and stuff, isn't it? Oh, not misdemeanors. They went to federal prison. Right. For aggravated assault or something like Mm -hmm. that, right? Armed robbery. Right. So. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah, well, it is a true event. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, So, I didn't really know where it was going. And the way this is filmed is that it's... It's a, it's a drama. It's not a documentary. But the real-life criminals, are we calling them? Yep. They're not heroes. They're criminals. The real-life criminals are interviewed throughout the movie. Uh, if you watched I, Tonya, which we reviewed, I know the real-life people weren't in that, but they, they, they did this thing where she talks to the camera, and so do other people in the, sh- in the movie, giving it kind of a documentary feel, but really it's a drama. Well, this does goes up a level to that. The real people are being interviewed. There are actors playing them, but occasionally the actors in the movie and the real person are in the same scene. While that might sound confusing, it is not at all, right, when you watch no, it? No, they're just done very well. Yeah, like it's always linked. Like you'll see the guy, and then you'll see the guy is playing, and then you'll see them together, you know, for a brief moment. But I'd never seen that before, and I think it added a huge thing to this movie. It made it, I don't know, watching the the real criminals being interviewed, I could see, like, how much regret they had. Could you see that? Well, I mean, they are, in a sense, they're performing for a movie, and they're being asked questions as if it's one of those little talking head things on a reality show or a documentary. So you're not getting the true person. So it can bring up emotions in that moment. It could be that they've talked about this so many times. They've rehearsed the remorse or the feeling bad or it strikes them in some way. So I don't think it's 100% genuine. No, it definitely is I think it comes isn't. off as them honestly discussing it. But they're not like broken people or anything, at least from the way they're portraying themselves. No, but... They're yeah. just kind of like, it was a, it was a bad thing we did. Yep. There's a lot of them looking at the camera and saying nothing. Those see, those moments are the parts where I was like, I felt actually sad or bad at p- points. And I was like, you know, they did this. I mean, you explain what they did. They plotted and planned and organized a heist to steal some of the most expensive books from the um, university in Kentucky, where like the Audubon, the original Audubon, I think lithograph books are, and they're worth like millions of dollars, and then a couple of others, transcript books, like really old, like from the 18th century. So they plotted and planned this because from what they could tell, they weren't very heavily guarded at all, in fact, and that they all had this whiny, moany thing about, well, aren't you waiting for something in life to happen to you? Something special, something Interesting. I mean, you did, I mean, part well, of my brain is like they didn't. Um, to, they didn't all have that attitude. The artist kid had that attitude and kind of instilled it in the others. And almost. the wild one. No, I think three of them did, and then the other one was just like basically whatever he could do to get ahead. And we're talking about these four guys were just college students. They're not older dudes or anything. They're what? How old would they be? They're in college. I don't know. 18 year olds, 19 year olds, possibly. No, they're over 21 because they're drinking in the bar. Oh, that is true. So they're just, you know, college students who spotted that. Didn't they say this was the most expensive book in existence? That's what they said in the thing. I don't know if they were being hyperbolic, but it says the most expensive book in existence. So, and it, when you think, oh, stealing a book would probably be easy, this is a giant book. It's a, it's a big book, like um, it's like the size of a table, and it's 
more than a book. It's a book full of paintings. Every page is a unique painting. So you know, I think people know what the Audubon books are. I, I, you know what? I did not know. Mm. So no, I don't think they do. Um, unless you're an art major or a- no, of course not. They're like the books. That's why the Audubon Society exists because of him. I'd and not that- heard about it until today. Really? No, no. Interesting. So, um, the, uh, now, you would think it's a heist movie, and they go in and they're really violent, and they wave guns around and all that kind of stuff. It, is it that kind of heist? You keep asking me questions, and then you take over, so you answer your question. <laughs> all right, it's not that kind of heist. It's, um... Because you loved it, so, and you're a heist guy. All right, I'll, so. I'll talk about it. So, okay. it is a non-heist heist. And, well, um, tell that to the lady. Right, yeah. There's one lady looking after the book, basically. And in the real... I just read the real-life case of it. Um, I don't know if this movie... What they did, basically, was put a taser on the back of her neck in the real life, not in this movie. And uh, she went down to the floor immediately because it capa- incapacitated her. And she peed her pants... And then they stuck some tape over her mouth and stuck her behind a desk. That's as far as it went. Now, in the movie, it did the same thing. I did, don't think the taser went on the back of her neck. Yeah, he tased her right on the back of her neck, like near the back of her head. They, they were probably pretty careful to make sure that was right, I would imagine, what they did to her. But, it, I mean, it's not... It's assault, what they did. Yep. But, you know, that's what they were in trouble for. Um, now... They all got this. This was the thing that confused me. They all got the same amount of jail time, yet one of them wasn't even in the room. Uh, two of them weren't even in the room, so they weren't involved in any assault. Yeah, but if they hadn't all planned and plotted, then the event wouldn't have occurred. So you are, by association, equally guilty because you're a part of the planning. Oh. So, like, if you're the guy at the bank robbery without the gun, you are still participating in a felony armed robbery and therefore anything that happens you are guilty of and anything is all equal it doesn't matter if you didn't do a thing right see i was thinking the people who were involved in the assault would get more years Mm -hmm. in prison than the ones who didn't because one guy is literally just a lookout stood on top of a roof with some binoculars um yeah but you can't get off that easy so this movie does a lot of clever things i thought and really interesting things it's got a lot it moves fast it's a fast paced kind of thing it reminded me quite a lot of the way train spotting moves along do you get what i'm saying with that yeah like click click clip yeah but but uh, not and, but in a good way not in a forced way no and a lot of music that connects the scenes together really you know cool music basically there's a lot of i like the soundtrack to this um it's really fast paced it's kind of interestingly shot a lot of the time and weirdly, for such a serious um, thing, it's quite funny as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're they're all, and they don't make it like super funny on purpose. Like, oh look, this is really light-hearted what they're doing. But there are some funny moments. Like they show you, and this is this is not a new thing. I've seen it done in other movies, but they show you like the the these dudes. They know nothing. They're they're not genius criminals. The first thing they do is look up how to do a heist on Google. I mean, they're not they're not that clever to be honest in that way. But um they show you like the perfect version of their heist like through their eyes like what they think it'll go like and it's literally they even play the yeah. Elvis Presley song over the top. It is the Ocean's 11 version of the heist, you know, and it's perfect. They're in really sharp suits. Everything just goes to perfectly and then you let you know then it cuts to them about to do the real thing and the real thing is nothing like that and that's what i liked about the movie it, it doesn't glamorize it i don't think Did i you, disagree i i don't think it i think it, if i was thinking of doing a heist in any way and i saw this from a bunch of amateurs who were looking up on google how to do a heist and then how this heist turns off because they're so unorganized and it's not right at all what they do and the feeling it gave me in my gut towards the end when it's quite clear that, spoilers, this isn't going to go right. <laughs> it it would put me off doing it in, or even thinking about it. No, I think you're absolutely wrong. I think you're in the minority of people who would be seeking out doing this crime. If you see a movie like this, all it does is fine-tune 
your ego to where you think you could do it better. Right. I would absolutely not make that mistake. Nope, I got to make a note of that. So no, I don't think it's a, I think anything that shows, obviously the thing wasn't a success, again, more spoilers, but they do end up going to prison and in their real lives, you know, that's a, it's a big, heavy burden of a choice that they've made, the damage they've done, the embarrassment to their families. We don't know the whole stories that branch out, but it must've been horrible because of their stupid choices. But in the end, it's still glamorizing it because it's a movie. They've made a movie. These guys get interviews. They're making money. They're getting to publish their books. The one guy's going to get to sell more artwork. The one guy's a filmmaker, so he's going to end up getting more jobs as a filmmaker. There is nothing here to deter you unless you pick up on that nugget of how they seem to regret having hurt this one person. Unless they forget, they spent seven years in prison paying the price. Right, but I mean, still, they're true, very true. And yet now, as adults, you know, they're in their 30s, they're reaping the benefits of their bad choice. And so you have to balance that out with this idea that, oh, it's not glamorized, because it does show like the, like the shitty side, you know, getting arrested and whatnot, even that. If you're truly hell-bent on committing a crime, and this is part of your research, because they use movies um, in the real world, they actually used movies to do their research. Yeah. yeah, And this is one of those movies. movies. Yeah, you would use this movie as what not to do. So I I still think it's glamorizing it. Not glamorizing it, maybe, but elevating it to this sort of, like, cool thing that, well, I could do that and I could do it better, you know? Maybe that's my criminal mind at work. Remember the scene (laughs) in Reservoir Dogs where they name each other after colors? These kids literally copy that (laughs) and call, call, you know, Mr. Pink, etc. And so there is a lot of, like... Right, so that sounds fun to some people. That's what I'm saying. There is some funny parts to this movie, but they're not... They're real things, what these... Because they're just kind of clueless, like, they just oh, we could probably do this. And there's lots of times in the movie where they almost don't do it anymore, right? They just kind of like, uh, there's a hurdle there. I don't think we can... Um, I don't think so. I think the one guy is always completely determined and then everybody else has doubts, but not that one guy. Absolutely not. They actually try it. Uh, you'll probably notice from the trailer of this or the cover. On them. Yeah, the co- they, they dress as old men at one point. That That's how the heist is going to go down. They're going to dress as old guys, walk into the library and just get an appointment to see this book and then take the book. That was That's the plan. Plan's really simple, to be honest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what I was wondering during this was when they do dress as old guys, that version of the heist doesn't go so right, but they get away with it. I mean, they, they leave before anything is kind of suspicious. So I was wondering if there is real-life video of them wandering... Yeah, no kidding. ...as old guys through that campus, you know, because surely there was a video camera somewhere that picked them up. Because they were dressed as the most, you know... Yeah, because we didn't catch how they knew who all of them were. Right. If you notice, we didn't... Because there would... From what we could see, there was no way for those four to be... Linked. Other than the one with the cell phone thing. But yeah, how the, could those four? So there's a lot more to the story, but... Yeah, it does jump ahead. Video would have done it, but... Yeah. So, I, well, that was one of the things I was thinking. You know, when they dressed as old guys, and I said to you, they're very unconvincing old guys. They're not great um, disguises they wear in. They've got, like, glued-on <laughs> mustaches. And, and then I said to you, is it just because we watched them get into the outfit? In real life, if those four old guys walk past you, would you actually think, oh, they're young guys dressed as old guys? I think so, yeah. You think you would be suspicious immediately? Absolutely. Yeah, so why do people think they can get away with that? (laughs) Who knows? Well, that wasn't the reason they, once they walked into this library dressed as old guys, they weren't, nobody figured that out. That wasn't why they had to leave, right? It was because a plan had changed. Correct. They expected the lady to be alone, and she was not. No, she was with some other people, so that couldn't be done, because that was their kind of hurdle. Like, we can take out one old lady. She's not an old lady. She's, what, middle? Probably our age. Yeah. We can take her out, (laughs) but we can't, we couldn't do anything more than that, because even the thought of taking out an old lady was a bit too much. Most of them, three of them, said, there's no way I'm even being involved in that. So he, the guy, um, Warren, he just had to take it on himself, right? 
Like, he was the only one who was willing. I don't think he was willing to do it. He just got put on him, right? He didn't seem like he wanted to do it. Well, he cho- chose to do it, so I, I don't give anybody a pass, no matter how they hesitate. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I mean? the way they all came across in the movie, none of them can, came across as violent. There's no, They don't take guns with them onto this heist, first off. Anybody doing a heist has guns, right? I mean... Well, I don't know. I've seen generally, every heist. And if they're learning how to do heists from movies, there's always a gun. I was going to say, the only heist you've ever actually witnessed will be in movies, and fictional same movies. Same with them, right? Yeah, but I'm just saying that we don't know. Heists could be happening right now that involve nothing right. other than just intimidation. But these or- dudes, they're not violent dudes. They don't have guns. And they, you know, yes... Tasing a lady in the back of the neck is a violent act at that point. Well, the yeah. way it's done in the movie, the way they kind of like s- sell it to you is like that's the only thing they have to do. And they do show the weight of that a lot afterwards, don't they? Like it's, it actually is, it doesn't come to the point where they're all going to turn themselves in. We don't know though, because that was never addressed, no. except that. Three of them appear to do some... Well, two of them at least. Well, Trying to... Yeah, something to purge themselves. Like, I didn't get caught for that. I have to get caught for this. Like, shoplifting and fighting in the bar. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so there is, there's just a lot of regret, you can see. Um, and they do portray it that way. I don't know how true to the real thing all that is. And I just had a look at the real thing and read something about it on Wikipedia. It doesn't really go into those details like, oh, well, after the thing, they felt this regret and one of them went and shoplifted a no. hungry man dinner. I, I think that is Hollywoody stuff that's added to make you like feel bad for them. Or I don't feel bad for them. No, not, a, a, not even a tiny bit. Because when you make a choice, a... a because this a thoughtful you had many months to change your mind but you started with that nugget of like oh poor me i don't feel like life is interesting enough i have to do something and then you go and you literally see this book of these amazing paintings and drawings drawn by a man who had had massive failures and problems in his life and he just retreated into nature and did all these paintings and drawings he accomplished that that's what made his book valuable and famous and talked about for you know a couple of centuries these guys want to do nothing of importance just sell this book they just want to be like little jerks go and like snatch it and then they think somehow somebody gets in their head that that's an interesting way to an interesting thing about your life but then you think who are you gonna tell this story to who's gonna be impressed you can only tell each other yeah. Like, you can't sit Your on the yacht ain't gonna love in the it. French Riviera and blow off to everybody who's rich and hanging around with you that you've done this thing because one of them's going to tell the cops. Like, I don't even, you know, that's one of the things I'm like, nope, zero sympathy. Seven years sounds reasonable. I don't know if the lady is the one who gets to decide that, though. Like, how much time do you should you get for having terrorized a person and probably impacting her whole yeah. life? Um but no, not even a grain of sympathy. Not about this broody, moody, oh, life. I'm just, it's like, um, he compared it a little bit to train spotting. And in train spotting, he says, you know, you buy a washer, you do this, you have the kids, you do the whatever, all these boring things we do with our life. You buy insurance. And choose life. Choose life, as in do something exciting with your not life, not this thing that's designed for us all, this boring, mundane. And they actually address that because the wild kind of guy, who sort of spearheads it all once the idea gets going, is like, really? You want to be in some fraternity that you don't want to be in to go to a college you don't want to go to to go someday to a job interview for a job you don't want to do to impress people you don't want to impress? That's Seriously? Where, that's your whole fucking life? That's where train spotting came into my head, I think. Yeah, exactly. That. It's like pointing out, but then the thing they think is going to make them feel special it's just being a bunch of dickheads. So no, I now, the, don't have any sympathy. The interesting thing about a heist like this, and it's a question I've always asked about heists in general, is when you steal like the rare, most rare book ever, and it's worth this, you know, whatever the amount is that people say it's worth. Um, how the hell do you get that money? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and this movie does address that in a way, which most movies don't. So one of the guys like. You know, as they call it, a fence, the person who's in between the transaction who. Supposedly. Finds, 
yeah, finds the person who wants the rare book and then sells it on your behalf and takes some of the money and you get some money. Well, they actually do kind of address that in this movie and they do go to New York and they try and get it evaluated. And, you know, it all seems to me in a heist like this, like, yes, you can steal an expensive book, but isn't the hard part of the heist trying to get rid of that for any amount <laughs> yeah, of money? Exactly. But in fact, that seems harder than the actual taking of it because the book's no use to you if you just sit around with this book, right? No use Correct. at all. Like, if you just kept it in your attic for the rest of your life, what have you got? You've got a story that you can't tell anybody about you stealing a book. And you've got the book that's worth nothing because you can't do anything with it. So unless you're stealing just bundles of cash yeah. that you can actually literally straight up use, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it always seems impossible. Like, you know, we've seen movies like, I can't remember which movie it was where they try and steal, steal the Mona Lisa. It was the same. That was the thing where I was like, how do you sell the Mona Lisa? Who's who's the buyer for it? What movie was that? Well, we saw Thomas Crown, which they there was art heist in that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Maybe it was that. There's also yeah. They ripped it out of the frame and curled it up and stuck it in a in a you know a, a postal tube, and I was like, okay, you've stole that. Was that the Mona Lisa or was that the Constitution in National Treasure? <laughs> there was that too. Yeah, but um, you know, you've got it. It's the most expensive thing there is, but. You've got to find somebody who wants to buy a stolen thing that they can never, ever display or whatever. Like, <laughs> I mean, they, they could probably show it. They could have it in their big mansion and only the they thing, could see it. Yeah, the weird thing is, though, I think those people do exist and that does happen, but probably less than we would imagine. Yeah, and how easy would it be for Mister um, for these guys, high, you know, um, college students, to find Mr. Guy in Milan who's a billionaire who wants the stolen book? Yeah. Like it fitting those two together would be a task in itself. So, yeah, it seems always seems, yeah, you can steal the book that's worth more than anything in the world, but good luck to you selling it. Because, like they even said in this, they address the point that when something like really expensive like that is stolen, it gets put on this list. So, Interpol and everybody, it's being watched. Like, if this comes across any pawn shop or anything, like police get notified, right? That's what I thought. Taking it to Christie's, really? You think they don't get notifications they, of things that are and they, stolen? And they I'm thinking it. that's where it all fell apart. They explained it with the Christie's thing. Something about I didn't quite catch it, but they said yeah, but something. That was if they weren't caught or no fuss was made about it. Right, that was. We've right. got a big fuss made about it. It's in the news. It wouldn't have been in the news if it had just turned up messing. Right. You know what I mean? They wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been a big. Yeah, I think that was the downfall, right? Yeah, I think so. Because the lady's like, can you leave your phone number? We'll get back to you. And he leaves his real phone number also. Yeah. Which is like, uh uh. <laughs> and even in 2003, seems like a long time ago, your email could be traced. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't go so well for these boys. But um, I was very impressed with it. I thought it was like really well shot. It was interesting every moment of it. You know, it was fast moving. I didn't know exactly how that heist was going. And when it did start to go wrong, I felt that. It was like a physical feeling in my stomach. I was like, oh, God, this is... Imagine being in this situation. When they're in the situation where they're just all sat at home, they've stole the books, and they're all sat... Actually, they don't get the actual book that they wanted, do they? <laughs> that book doesn't actually get stolen. Correct. They get the, some other smaller books. But um, the f when he's rowing in his front room, when, each, when it shows you each one of them and nobody's in a good place, they've got the books, but there's nothing good about it. They made me feel physically, oh, imagine being in that situation. It's So moving on to the... What did you think fully, Adi? I loved it. I thought it was well done, really exciting, interesting, and also, like, you know, unlike... How people have woven the true story in with, you know, fiction and truth mixed together. I really like that. I just think it was good. Good job. So uh, moving on to the cast, uh, Evan Peters played. And entertaining. Don't forget. It, it's not just like good. It's also entertaining, at least to me. I think it was like mainly entertaining, actually. But then there's that feeling you got also, the gut feeling and the feeling like, oh, God, you know. Another thing I was thinking, now we're getting onto the cast, is how good everybody's performance was, too. Like, they're, they're really good. 
actors. Like, Evan Peters, who plays Warren Lipka. Obviously, Warren Lipka's also in it. And you'll know Evan Peters from um, X-Men Days of Future Past. He played Quicksilver. You can't remember that. In fact, that's the scene that always sticks out to me, where he runs around the room. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Um, he reminds me of a young, you know, the guy, you know, Lex Luthor in Batman. You know Facebook that guy? guy? Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. He reminds me of him, but when he was younger. Hmm. And even though he's not, he's not actually that old, is he, Jesse Eisenberg? But no. I really like this Warren Lipker in this. He was like, he had the right amount of, like, in the group of the four guys, he was the one who's kind of wild. You, you even said he was. Yeah, yeah. he's the wild one. He's kind of, is the, and he's also the one who keeps the train rolling. Even when the train seems like it's going to derail, he's always talking people around, like, because he wants to do it so badly. Yep. Them, like, deciding that they don't is like a, you know, a nail in his coffin. So he's like, no, I'm going to. He's got something more to prove. Right. And he's, you know. And we get little glimpses of their family histories or family dynamics. Not much, but a little bit. Yeah. Or his family's like, the dad's like, you know, hey, son, hey, how's your shop? Because he's a basketball player. <laughs> so his, yeah, his, well, no, that's the other one called the other one champ. And you're like, what? He's not even a sports guy. But he was obviously within a few scenes and a few lines, you get very clearly that the dad has hugely high expectations of the son who can play basketball, got a scholarship to the university. And their whole relationship is based on the father being proud of the son doing this thing. And that falls apart. And so that's a catalyst for him, A, to be angry that his father's pushing him in a direction he never wanted to go, and B, now the father is no longer even like a uh, a strong, competitive guy. He's just like this loser guy who his mom's divorcing. And you get that in, in a very, very well-done scene at the dinner table. The mom is pissed off, oh, yeah. and then she just comes in and says, I'm divorcing your father, and that's all it takes. And then he's annoyed with his dad for crying. And it takes, you know, one minute of an entire story for you to grab an, a whole backstory of this family. And I thought that was really good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Evan Peters did a really good job. Barry Keoghan plays Spencer Reinhard. I didn't know this guy was Irish because they all do good American accents. <laughs> but you, you liked him, right? Yeah, very good. He's um, the second main guy, really. And he's the artist, and he's got, you know, he's the one who, he's the catalyst for them actually doing it, right? Debatable, according to them. Yeah, debatable. Yeah. It, it, there's a bit of that in this movie. <laughs> They're honest, I think, about who really yeah. thought of everything, so that's kind of interesting. There's a lot of that in this movie, where the real-life guys say, I don't know if he said that, or I thought of that, or, you know, like, there's a lot of that. Which So in, instead of picking a side, they just blend it all together. Yeah. And in real life, when a thing's going down and everything, I'm sure you don't remember every detail. You're like, well, you know, who, who, who mentioned it first? And if you're still friends, do you implicate each other? Do you... There's also you that. You know? Yeah. So Blake Jenner plays Chaz and Jared Abramson plays Eric. Now, they're the, the, the other two come into the movie, like, later on, really. Like... A little bit later, yeah. Yeah, towards the end of the planning of the heist because they need a driver and they need a uh what do they need the other guy for logistics he said because the they don't guy. know how to do yeah oh. the clever one because <laughs> they don't know how to like actually organize anything yeah because then when he's when he starts talking about it and they get the uh warren guy's just writing it all down he's like what are you doing he's like, i'm just taking notes it's all good shit like because this guy actually coming in from the outside He's like, yeah, all this shit that you're saying is stupid. Like, why are you not looking at this? Why are you not looking at that? Why are you trying to do it in the middle of the night? Because that was their plan. Yeah. He's like, that's the worst time. Because, like, that's when you can't go in there. Nobody's supposed to be there. Yeah. <laughs> you should think about the daytime when you when anybody can be in there. So, um, yeah, these two. Are also, Andowd, who I um, used to dislike Andowd. I don't know why, and I think it might have been down to a character she played somewhere. Oh, definitely. We um, know what but I find her really good. Like in this movie, she was excellent. In the movie called, if you watch this movie, it's amazing. It's a movie called Compliance with Anne Dowd in it. Do you remember that one about the McDonald's? Oh yeah. And she was the manager. Yeah. 
what a that she was fantastic in that. Um, and also the leftovers. Don't forget the leftovers. Um, where what do you, do you still dislike Undoubt? Yeah. Not I a not really a performing, like but she just reminds me of that horrible character, and I hated her right, so but, much. So she plays that horrible character. She does a good job, right? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's one of those things, isn't it? It's yeah. not that you dislike her as an actress. It's like there's an there's a part she played that really got to you. I so, can't be unbiased. She makes me crazy. No, and I re- in this she played it really differently. This lady to what she normally plays, I think. And um, when we saw the real lady. I was like, yeah, she's researched that lady because she did the, you know. Sure, I would imagine she's met her. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It that seemed for a fact, like it, but because even her mannerisms seemed like the same. You know, the way she spoke, she was very authoritative, almost. You know, when she's like, well, oh yeah, you know, it was just a very specific thing. But yeah, I really like Andowd, Um and she did re- really well. In it. it was just horrible, like when she was being assaulted. Yep. It was actually like unsettling. It was more grisly than just watching somebody get shot in the head or whatever in a movie. Because it was like, this is just a lady who can't do anything. And she, the way she said, she said, "That's hurting me. You can't like because they've tasered her, tried she, to taser her. Yeah, it kind of half went on, half didn't. And she's like, that's hurting me. Like, and it was. Just, I was like, oh no, like it. There are victims in things. Yeah, and there's no reason for it. So, yeah, it really was good. Uh, this is directed by Bart Layton. Um, he hasn't directed a drama before, but uh, he did direct a documentary called The Imposter, which I loved and you didn't see. I watched it on Netflix. And uh, you pro- if you haven't seen The Imposter, I won't tell you. It's another true story, but that one is actually a documentary. It's not a dramatization. Um, I think it's fantastic, that movie. You should see it. But what do you think about Leighton here with this movie? Excellent. I was completely convinced that he was this sort of like whiny. <laughs> That's why I see him anyway. Kind of like I've got everything going for me and yet life is so empty and I need something interesting. I am and he did a about, good job. I'm talking about the director though. Oh, they asked me about the guy. No, Bart Leighton. I'm, 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 he, he directed The Imposter and then... But that guy was in The Imposter, you said. No. But the actor guy was in Imposter. No, it's the same director. Oh, because earlier when you were talking, that's why I was confused. No. You're talking about There's the nobody guy. in this movie in The Imposter, but the, <laughs> it's the director is the same person. Director is fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he directed The Imposter's a very, very. It's. The so, only, I'll skip over. Remember, when we talk about the actor guy, he's really good. Right. And the director is fine. It's it's like cutting. He must have edited it as well. This because, director has a, a style to him. Yeah. Like, it's a stylish kind of thing. Sometimes, and then sometimes it's very functional, so it's a good combination. He's, I like the mix of music with the visuals, and it gives you a feeling, you know, that's nothing new, but it's done quite heightened here, like in Trainspotting. Another thing that reminded me of Trainspotting. So extras on the Blu-ray, there isn't actually that much, to be honest. This is a... the For a long time, this is a Blu-ray that I've got here. This is the retail box that you can buy next week. And uh, there is no digital copy at all. It's just the Blu-ray. I've not seen that for so long. I don't know what's going on with that. But I did look on Amazon. And because there isn't a digital copy, it makes this Blu-ray $15. So at least it's cheaper. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen a Blu-ray without a digital copy inside. Um, The extras are, there's one deleted scene. There are featurettes, which are basically like, they're the things that sell the film. (laughs) Like, here's each character, and here's some clips from the movie. Then, you know, it's not worth watching if you've seen the film. There's a still gallery, and there's a director commentary, which I like the commentaries, so I will listen to that. Um, So, conclusion on uh, American Animals. I highly recommend this. This is one of my favorite movies this year so far. You know what I'm saying? Oh, definitely. High, high score. Yeah, really good. Um, Don't miss this one. American Animals. (laughs) So uh, thanks to Lionsgate for providing us with a copy for a review. Next week, we're looking at another Lionsgate movie, and it's called Beast. It's not Beauty and the Beast. It's just called Beast. So we'll look at Beast next week. I like it because Sid Talk has no idea what Beast is. No, I like it when I don't know. So movie recommendations, I am going... Uh, I've mentioned these movies quite a lot during that review. The Imposter and Train Spotting, because uh, it is not 
kept getting train spotted in my head. All this, there's some of the shots. They actually do shots from different movies in this, different heist movies. And the one that I absolutely spotted was the first scene of Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight where he rolls up outside the bank and he's got the bag. Yep. And it's just, they do that shot in this movie and it's, you know, you've got to have seen that movie to to spot it, but there's others as well. So, um, yeah, they're my recommendations. What are yours? Then are off track, of course, as always. My one of my friends, when we were in high school, wouldn't would barely sit for like even a half an hour to watch a TV show. She would rather be out with the boys and just roaming around or talking, doing her makeup or whatever. And I was the opposite. I would sit for days in a row watching HBO and watching every '80s movies that came out. Of course, that included Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink. Um, Breakfast Club, you know, all the standards, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, et cetera, et cetera. And the other day she texted me and said, oh, my God, I just watched. She's my age. She's 50. Oh, my God, I just watched Pretty in Pink. It's so good. And the music's so good. And I'm like, seriously, it took you like 35 years, 30 years to watch that and actually appreciate it. So I'm going to tell you all to watch uh, Pretty in Pink. I saw this new movie, Pretty in Pink. Breakfast Club or Sixteen Candles. Any of those three, I know there's, you know, people younger might not find them as charming as we would, but that's what I'm going to recommend because it'll throw you back. It'll also like cheer you up. Ferris Bueller's my, still my favorite of the, that era of movies. I don't know. I, uh, yeah, it's the least. It's the one I saw the most, I guess. If you want to pick it apart by modern standards of how to represent different types of people and we're talking race and gender and things that are appropriate things that are mock mocking or making fun of people for different things then yeah i would say that probably falls in the least offensive category if you just want to watch it because it is what it is and we all you know everything evolves and changes we'll have different sensibilities over time then you can turn off that cap for a bit if you need to and just enjoy the others i know that sounds overly analytical but it's actually a real thing. You know, you might watch some of those old movies and be like, what? That portrayal of a young teenage young man from China is disgustingly racist. I did watch, um, I did watch Weird Science on, cause we have it on our server. Right. Again. Uh, I actually watched it inside VR actually <laughs> on the big screen. <laughs> and, um, there is a scene in Weird Science where they go to a bar with her. And they start talking jibe. Do you remember that? I don't, but I know it is. It is awful. Like when you watch it today, you're like, "Oh my god!" Do you mean jive with the V? Jive Jive talking. Yeah, like like they do it on airplane as well. Yes, those two. And you feel like, but but what's he called? Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, He, he pretends basically to be this cool like pimp character right and it's so insulting like t- today you'd be like you feel like ah, <laughs> that's not right yeah it's really bad i would do an impression but it would just be offensive yeah and that's what i'm saying <laughs> you can either watch it and understand the times and then choose to just you know ignore those parts if it offends somebody then don't watch it and you can't undo it it exists just don't watch it or show your children or promote it but you know you're a grown-up you can pick and choose the things that you support or not support so that's a long explanation for my (laughs) my teenage classics that i do love but hey that's the way the world works all right a scully stuff this week Uh, we uh well we actually both played this game well i played it and you watched it but this week was the release of the walking dead the final season which is the telltale game based on the walking dead comics and it's the final season of Clementine's story. You explain who Clementine is. Clementine is a now teenager who was a young, little young girl when the Walking Dead whatever happened. We're still not 100% clear on that, I don't think. The CDC, whatever happened in Walking Dead explains it, but whatever. The comic books probably explain it more. So when the Walking Dead thing starts, she's a little tiny girl. Her parents are dead. This guy helps take care of her, and I won't tell you what happens, but now she's a teenage girl, and she's also in charge of a little boy that happened along the way, and she's kind of kick-ass. She kind of, it's kind of like the Hulk, right? Yeah. She goes from group to group, and basically is the savior person 
ultimately is the person who makes the best decisions, even though she's always been a little girl. And it's about her struggle and of survival throughout. And now she's, you know, the charge of this young boy because his mother had him and didn't end up very well. Almost ate him. We'll just say that. Almost ate her own baby. Yeah, we've uh, <laughs> we've seen we've played all the seasons. This is the You've played it. I've watched. Yeah, you've it. watched the entire yeah. thing. This is the fourth season. Um and, you know, it's Clementine's story. And what do you think of this first episode? Don't spoil this first episode. But oh no, I think it's just as compelling as everything else. I'm I'm intrigued. I think, you know, I don't know if you agree, but I think the Telltale Games Walking Dead story is the best of all of Walking Dead. I agree. I think their story is more interesting than the show. I think it's more interesting than the comics, which I've read. It's often more gritty. Yeah. Strangely enough. I like that it's, a, that it's from the point of view of a child, which makes it even more kind of awful, <laughs> generally. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's nobody in the TV show that I care about as much as Clementine in the game. Absolutely. Which is quite a thing to do with a video game. Because, you know, often people say, oh, video games, you can't tell a good story in a video game. I, If you are in that mind... <laughs> I I would say try this video game or video games like it that can tell stories. We just played Detroit Become Human recently. That is just like, in, in my mind, we watched a movie, right? We played a exactly. movie. You know, it's, it tells the story just as well as a movie does, if not better sometimes, because you can spend more time with the character. But Clementine, like, I feel for, I, I want to protect her. I'm in control of her. Can't let things happen to her. I have to make the right decisions in this game because in this game, in this new one, AJ, the child that she's with, he's like a little sponge and he listens to Clementine and it does tell you early on, AJ is always listening. Your actions will shape what he becomes. And I was like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, that puts a real lot of pressure on me. Like, like I feel pressure now to make sure that kid comes across, you know, right. But in this world, which is messed up, and sometimes you have to kill people, and sometimes you have to kill zombies, and it's terrifying, and there's probably not much fun, but she still, you know, Clementine still tries to make it good for him. Like, But it was great. I thought that first episode was great, and the ending was awesome, and I can't wait for the next one. Uh, unfortunately, you know, when I told you it's going to come out every month? Yeah. It isn't? Of course not. Um, it's coming out every one and a half months. So the end of it takes is like Christmas Eve, something like that. So we won't find out what happens until then. The other game I've been playing this week is called State of Mind. It's a, it's on the PC. I think it's on the consoles as well. But I would describe it as, I just mentioned Detroit Become Human, which is like a multi-million dollar blockbuster Choose Your Own Adventure on the PlayStation 4. This is like a budget version of that made by an indie developer. But, you know, so it's not got the same production value. It doesn't look quite as good. In fact, it's they've taken this other style of uh, making things not actually look that good at all. It's all very polygony. Like, people's faces are very... Yeah. Like the old days when Lara Croft kind of looked all angular. It looks like that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the story can't be as good because... It's a really interesting story. You're a dude. He's been in a car crash. He's lost his memory. It's uh, Berlin in 2048. It's very futuristic. There are robots who help us with our day-to-day lives, similar to Detroit. There are, you know, police forces made up of robots. We're living in huge high-rises. Everything's really luxurious. And you've been in this car crash, you've lost your memory, and you're trying to go back into your normal life and piece together what's happened to you. And there seems to be a lot of things that have happened to you, such as you're having an affair, your wife is missing. You Goodness. Know, it's all starting to come back to him as he... Um, it's really cool. It's uh, called State of Mind. And even though it is a low, like an indie game, I thought it was going to be really cheap, because they usually are, like 10 to $20. But it's actually $39.99, so it's an indie game asking for big game money, which is interesting. But it's called State of Mind. It's really interesting. The guy who does the voice acting, the main guy, it's the guy who does the voice of the Witcher, 
So if you're the fan, if you're a fan of uh, Gerald from The Witcher, you might be a fan of this because he does a really good performance, like he did in that game. So that's it. State of mind. What's for dinner, Sid Talk? It's gonna be Freddy's custard Ooh. and steak burgers. Except we don't eat custard or steak burgers. We get the veggie burger and fries. Yeah, they do a good veggie <laughs> burger. Very we good. just we climb onto a thing for movie day. You know, for a long time it was Subway, and for a long time it was Jimmy John's, and now it's going to we be... had pizza for a while too. We did long years ago. Yes, the and now it is uh, this Fred's. for a while. Fred's. We're going to Fred's. Yeah, very good. I like it, and they have excellent fry sauce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Correct. So uh, what is your advice before we leave? My advice is kind of brought on by this movie and sort of this reaction I have to a lot of movies and stories tell you about like a broken hearted person, the edgy girl, the broody boy, and how they seem more interesting or compelling in life. You know, you can be all that. Be broody, be broken, have terrible things that have impacted you. We all do. And be fucking productive. Don't just whine around and be like, oh, I'm overthinking my life and life is meaningless and what am I going to do and society's teaching me all the boring stuff. That's fine. I agree. However, in the meantime, get off your ass and do something productive with your life. Do something good. And I even like that the real lady from this movie said that they wanted to make a difference in their lives, but they were not willing to do anything. They weren't willing to create anything, to help anyone, to make any difference. They just wanted to be selfish. And I think when you get too far into your own bullshit emotions, and yeah, sometimes that's what it is. You got to face the truth that you stop being a productive person. And there are so many people who have so much less going for them physically, emotionally, intellectually, economically, um, Everything, and yet they're productive, helpful in some way. They don't just retreat into themselves and be like, "Oh, I'm a rich guy in a middle-class family, and life is so meaningless. Boo-hoo. I mean, it's just bullshit. So, be broody, be broken, be confused and troubled, be emotional, and get off your ass and go to work. Or be helpful to somebody. It's not that complicated. In fact, you'll start realizing pretty quick... Whatever you're feeling sorry for yourself about, probably not as big a deal as you think it is. Or maybe it is, but you could work through that too. All right. Well said. <laughs> Was it? <laughs> Constructive and criticism. We'll see. Yeah. All right. You can catch this uh, web. You can catch this web. What was it? You can catch this it? podcast on ascoli.com. You can catch it. Uh, catch me on Twitter, Sid Talk on Facebook. You can catch uh, it also on the Google Play Store, the iTunes Store, you've got an Amazon device, just say whatever your trigger word is. Listen to After the Show Movie Podcast on TuneIn, and it will play you the latest episode. You can also find this podcast on YouTube. Email feedback to me at ascoli at And stay classy. Uh, I was going to say stay classy, the American animals. Not very classy, actually, boys. <laughs> no. I'm going to say think for yourselves, or someone will do it for you. 